0: This podcast is proudly supported by Red Energy, powered by Snowy Hydro, a leader in renewable energy. Call 131 806 for Real Aussie Energy and Prince Wine Store, bringing wine enthusiasts the greatest wine in the world. David Teague has just been let go at Carlton. Which club, Hawks or Blues, made the biggest mistakes in the lead up to saying goodbye to their coaches.
1: Carlton gets there by a whisker, Corrie. The public treatment of David T has just been so humiliating. Sacking a coach mid-season is not a good look for a footy club. You know, there's just been spot fires everywhere because Carlton's dragged this on and not had the good grace to tell the coach that he's gone.
0: Not having access to playgrounds is really tough. There are so many little kids who just don't understand what's happening and all they want
1: is a swing and a slide. And the one realistic thing is the sort of people who work around these health retreat the type places. You know, that side of it is very sort of realistic and it certainly is menacing.
0: Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast with Caroline Wilson and Corey Perkin. Hello to all our Don't Shoot the Messengers out there and welcome to episode 186. Another week, another lockdown and another chance to catch up with my dear friend caro wilson hello caro
1: don't shoot the messengers are we a collective now now corrie that's brilliant
0: well i just it just came to me because i was about to say don't shoot the messenger and i thought well actually we are all messages messengers aren't we we
1: are corrie we are and um it's lovely to be with you again and another week in lockdown and plenty of other stuff to talk about as well a lot of it very cheery
0: Yes, we're trying to be cheery and hello, of course, to Miss Jane, who, before we went on air this morning, Carol, she was telling me about the beautiful Daphne and Freesias that are popping up in her rural garden. Your first spring there, Miss Jane, so I hope it's giving you lots of love and I hope everybody's enjoying their garden at the moment. Carol, we have got so much on the agenda, my head is spinning. Uh, we've got footy finals here. Miles from Prince Wine Store is joining us with a Father's Day gift idea. You have a lovely book we can escape with. I have an absolute cracker of a recipe. And then in six quick questions, we will be chatting a bit and reflecting on the contribution of Rolling Stones drummer Charlie Watts, who died earlier this week. But first of all, a big thank you to our podcast sponsors, Red Energy, 100% Australian owned and operated. Wonderful energy company. You guys came on board at the start of lockdown last year and you've remained enthusiastic supporters of Don't Shoot the Messenger. Carol and I really appreciate it. And of course, our friends at Prince Wine Store, who are based in South Melbourne and also Zetland in Sydney for our Sydney listeners. But they deliver anywhere, of course, particularly during lockdown. Thanks for your support, guys. Without you, we would not be here with our little podcast. Now, Cara, and I'm looking we're...
1: forward, Corrie, to Miles' um, Father's Day recommendations. We're going to run them over a couple of weeks, aren't we?
0: We are indeed. And uh, I think whiskey might be on the agenda today, Caro. Uh, lots of um, compliments for you, Dal, about that gorgeous photograph of you with Ernie Sigley on the Don't Shoot the Messenger Instagram account, which is called Don't Shoot Pod. Um, Carol, what a lovely photo of the two of you. I-, I had forgotten until we talked about Ernie Sigley last week that, of course, you were at 3AW at the same time and he was your successor on that afternoon show.
1: He was. Well, he used to fill in for me when I went on holidays. And, you know, I love a long holiday. And when um, I became pregnant with Clementine and, you know, told 3AW that I was leaving, it was pretty – I said to – the not that I was going to be nominating my own successor, but I made it clear that I wouldn't be coming back on a full-time basis after maternity leave. And um, I said, obviously, it has to be Ernie. And, I mean, I only did the show for two years. Ernie did it for about 12. And um, for most of that time, um was a ratings winner. So, um, no, I really enjoyed working with Ernie. And we all got to know Glenis, his lovely wife, very well. So, yeah, it was um, it was sort of quite poignant when he died. And, obviously thinking of Glenys and I remember being so sad that Ernie wasn't well enough to attend the Bulldogs grand final win in 2016 but um, he did know that they won so um, yeah it was a certainly a memory of another time.
0: Um, Kara, there's been also a bit of correspondence good and bad I do have an apology firstly last week I was talking about Colin Toybean's most excellent novel the Master which is about the story of Henry James the American writer and I referred to Sarah Winman's book Still Life which is actually also there's a touchstone there it's in a very similar way the two writers but um, she and Colin Men have talked about the topics, but her author of Focus is E.M. Forster, the British writer. And I yes. kind of converged the two into one, which I didn't mean to do, but I realised afterwards that I had made a terrible error. So um, my apologies for being a bit vague and silly
1: on that one. <laughs> and also to you know, Julie... it's funny you say that because when I was thinking I was an idiot, I thought, God, I really I completely missed that reference to Henry James. I mean, I, I no. knew the E.M. Forster. <laughs> that makes me feel... No, bitter. well, what, no.
0: What I was trying to do is that both authors really beautifully go into the lives of both these, you know, 19th century writers, 20th century, early 20th century writers in a very similar way. But I just I realized I was just gabbled and I didn't make it um, very clear. So my apologies to all everyone who's confused out there and also to Julie Holden. Thank you, Julie, so much for your email where Julie said, I felt the labelling of, quote, migrant groups in the West, close quote, and reducing so much diversity to some defect in following COVID rules based on a non-English cultural background was handled too insensitively. Well, uh, thanks for letting us know, Julie, that you felt that we did handle. I thought you I thought possibly we were okay um, working with a very sensitive topic, But um, I appreciate your feedback there. I'm not sure what you um, feel about that, Caro.
1: Oh, look, um, I don't think um, we certainly, as um, Julie said, we certainly didn't um, intend to frame um, us as white and then the multicultural community as behaving differently. In fact, we went out of our way, I thought, to say the opposite. But... um, I guess you've got to be very careful and I completely understand her concerns. i tell you what, I'm not going to apologise to that very nice listener, that bloke who told us that we should have given a spoiler alert about the newsreader. I mean, <laughs> surely we're allowed to talk about a show that's been on TV, maybe if it's some, something that you stream or if it's a movie that you're going to go and see at the cinema. But if we can't talk about what happens in the first episode of a show that ran it's already in a gone time to time air. slot... Yeah, on the ABC on a Sunday night, they really, I, I think we don't, don't think we'd have any, we wouldn't be able to talk about anything on TV.
0: <laughs> I did when I when I was when I saw that email coming to our shared inbox. My first thought was, oh my God, there have been some instances where you and I have given away a bit too much of a plot of a book or a movie, but really this was not one of those situations. <laughs>
1: Oh, absolutely not. And I'm very glad Miss Jane didn't send an apologetic email, or at least I hope she didn't. (laughs) I tell you what, Corrie, that show continues to resonate now that I've watched two shows in, no spoiler alerts, and working, as I do, at Channel 9 every week and knowing a lot of people who work in the TV industry and who worked in newsrooms, this show is really starting to have... I've got to say it's actually having a bit of a traumatic effect on some people who were looking back on what happened to them in newsrooms in the 80s and 90s. And there are some people I've spoken to from um, more than one network who have said they actually can't bring themselves to watch the newsreader because it brings back too many horrible memories.
0: Well, my obvious question to you is who says that, but I'm sure you won't reveal any any confidences. But how interesting is that? And they're having this kind of um, uh, post-event
1: trauma and one, one person said to me, look, they'll be happy to watch the show at some point, but they might wait till the summer when they're feeling a bit cheerier. So it it, it has resonated and it's clearly going down a, a very much um, a bit of a Me Too path and watching um, that one of the main characters just be so traumatised when he's bullied, even though she's mm. a strong woman. It's really, it, it is very disturbing. Anyway, mm. the mm. newsreader, we've already talked about it. We've got some great tips for this week, but it's not that one.
0: And Michelle Sheriff, thank you for your email too. Michelle said she was grateful for the newsreader tip and she says she loves it. And, in fact, she loves watching a show with Melbourne and recognising the famous, the familiar streets and everything. And this lockdown she's made, made given herself a task to watch TV shows made in Melbourne. And she said, I've thoroughly enjoyed watching Tangle on ABC iview with so many scenes oh, that's filmed outside.
1: Yes, um, There's a, a lot of sort of Studley Park sort of area in that one, and Cory, Quick curio to Anthony Rudolph, who emailed us from Sydney, who is a, has a mutual friend of ours in Thea Guest, and who loves the show. Even he's a Melbourne boy, but he's now in Sydney, and Georgina French from Paris. Yes, was lying well, in the Place de boat yeah. <laughs> after a lunch of steak frits and rose oh and yeah. she heard
0: she heard it was one of your favorite haunts, as it is mine indeed, and of course, I know a couple of uh, Georgina has many aunts, and I know two of them, Joan and Liz, and I know they're fans of the podcast, so sending my regards to you both and um, how lovely that your niece is there in Paris, enjoying that and and Georgina was also very interesting uh caro on the topic of having a baby overseas uh, she said i had my first baby last year living in london and haven't seen any of my family for two years listening to caro talking about being with rose when she gave birth made me so emo- emotional but i'm grateful for rose that she had her mum there none of us would ever choose to have a baby away from family in the middle of a pandemic but i'm always grateful for the love and support we get living away from home and the lives we have chosen to live There you go. That's a lovely sort of note, I think. And thank you, Rhonda Prosser, um, who said, love the podcast, love the banter. And she recommends a Netflix show, Caro, called The Casketeers, about a funeral director in New Zealand. I have not heard of this.
1: No, me neither, but I'll be giving it a go.
0: Okay, so, Caro, as we do each, uh, (laughs) at the start of each episode during lockdowns, we just check in with one another and I wondered what your mood is, what's your state of mental health and what's going on at your place?
1: <laughs> Look, again, Corrie, I'm, I'm the worst person to ask because, you know, it, it, it will... It, maybe it will resonate for me if this is still going on in October and I certainly hope it isn't. But I've just been incredibly busy. Um, work is um, my salvation and also, you know, to the point where I wish I had more time to spend in the garden now that spring is here, um, I'm... Very, very busy with football. The football world really hots up at this time of year. And even though I can't go to games and we've taken the decision at Footy Classified that some of us might get to Perth, but certainly not myself and Matthew Lloyd and Ross Lyon. or um, well, Ross Lyon might be coaching he might Carlton be coaching. by the, time the finals kick off. He might yeah, be coaching but, um, Carlton. Um, we're, we're going to stay in Melbourne and, you know, keep the home fires burning. So, um, look, Corrie, it's just really busy. There's stories breaking here, there and everywhere It's a busy time of year and I'm sort of running around, you know, looking forward to at some point getting back into cooking and gardening. But so I can't complain. There's a lot of online bridge happening when there is a down moment. I am, you know, a little bit depressed about the fact that um, there are a lot of things we can't go do now and I'm missing my friends and my children and that sort of thing. But I really can't complain. What about you? Well, Caro, it's... It's a
0: it's a very quiet time. There is no doubt about it. It's not like the last lockdowns, as I've said earlier uh, on other podcasts, uh, other episodes that not working and not driving books around Melbourne is weird for me. Um, There is a slightly over obsession here in the house about the the trip to the shops each day to get food. There's a lot of thought going into that because it's the outing. Uh, And there is a lot of cooking and it's just the two of us. So it has to stop because I'm going to be the size of a whale by the time this lockdown ends. But uh, I'm finding a lot of comfort in cooking and um, the garden is starting to take off uh, with some spring growth. So there's quite a lot to do there. And I'm trying to get a new business off the ground, but it does really feel uh, pretty bleak. I'm missing family terribly. I miss grandchildren terribly. And I think we're all in the same boat, those of us who are not within five kilometres of our family. But Caro, uh, as we go to air today, we know that Gladys Berejiklian has promised New South Wales that there will be a privilege or a couple of privileges returned to them now this news may have broken later today as we're recording so i can't say what that privilege might be but if victoria hair
1: and nails corrie oh is it it's going to be it's going to be beauty treats that's what i'm told it is As we know, everyone's focusing now on getting jabbed. I think that it does make you feel a lot safer when you are immunised, doesn't it? And I think that's what I think they're going to do. Remember, it is different there. Like, they're allowed to play golf and tennis. So there's a lot more outdoor activity probably going on as a result of that. I mean, as you and I know, the great beneficiary of these lockdowns is our step count. Mm. So, um, you know, that's good.
0: So, So in Sydney, they can play golf with a beautiful blow wave. With 900 cases yes. a day, and here in Melbourne we can't play golf, we can't get a blow wave, and we have far fewer cases.
1: It doesn't make no. sense. No, well, so, I'm, Carol, I'm, without if... being a smart, without being a smart, Alec, I get two blow waves a week, so I'm lucky. But, if um, um, Daniel Andrews footy... was
0: to say to us, Caro, what would be um, what would be a privilege that you would like returned? What would you say?
1: Oh, you know, okay. well, as I said last year, I'm really looking forward to going back. Going back to a a pub or a wine bar and meeting my friends for a drink. I just think that is just something that we really took for granted back in the day. And we sort of had that little brief little hiatus, didn't we, in the middle of winter where we did go and meet at a local wine bar with a group of girls. And it was just so nice. It was just such well, a nice Carol, thing to that, do. I, I,
0: think, I think of that initiative which you started, let's go on a Tuesday night and have have a drink, just 5.30 to 6.30, catch up. And if we were available, we would. And if we weren't, we couldn't get there. But just to know that there was this little regular moment, uh, that was something that came out of the last lockdown. I thought that was a great idea of yours and I hope it continues. um, I, I think more about, I suppose, because of the grandies and particularly the Ballarat family having gone in and out of lockdown a bit in the last few weeks, not having access to playgrounds is really tough on mothers with and fathers with toddler aged children it's really hard and I don't know why that couldn't be lifted at some point pretty soon even if it's just almost on a suburb to suburb basis there are so many little kids who just don't understand what's happening and all they want is a swing and a slide
1: yeah, that is, that is tough. That is tough. I mean, you can still go to the park, can't you? You can go to the park, you can kick the footy, um, you can go to the beach, you can play at all those other places, but you just can't go on the swings and slides. God, Corey, there's so many things. I mean, I'd love to get in a car and drive to Sydney and meet my new baby grandson, Harry, um, and cheerio to Sam and not Sarah. Grandson. Not grandson. Not to- grandson. He's not your grandson. My great-nephew, I'm sorry, yeah. isn't that terrible? <laughs> my, my sister's grandson, my great-nephew, Harry, I would love to go and meet him. I'd also really love to go to the movies, as you know. It's one of my favourite treats. So, look, there, there is a long list, Corrie. There's a really long list. So let's talk
0: about leaders and do you reckon they'll survive? Gladys, Dan Andrews, I see in the papers this week that he is still maintaining a lead over the opposition here in Victoria. The latest poll shows Scott Morrison, Greg Hunt. Wherefore art thou, Greg Hunt? Where are you, Greg Hunt? Uh, but do you reckon these leaders are going to survive this pandemic? Uh,
1: look, I think, I think Gladys will. I think he's got a huge popularity rating in New South Wales. Daniel Andrews certainly doesn't seem to be... I mean, I, I don't think the opposition leaders, either in New South Wales or in Victoria have landed a punch yet. There is obviously an enormous amount of resentment in Victoria um, about all these lockdowns. And, um, you know, this time when's the Victorian state election? Sort of next November. So Mm. 14, 15, 16 months away. Just so much can happen between now and then. Um, But I don't... I can't... I couldn't say to you now that either of them are going to lose. I think Greg Hunt might be in a bit of trouble, even... um, People who were big Greg Hunt fans a year ago, and I don't think he was a hugely popular health minister, would now say that, you know, a lot of the blame's been shifted onto him. Well, and, Carol, um,
0: I was really interested to read Nikki Sava's first column for your newspaper, The Age. She's just joined The Age and the Sydney Morning Herald, which is a terrific appointment, I reckon. But in her first column, she talked about the uh, just the Um, real turnaround in relation to Greg Hunt not only in the party room but also in his electorate of Flinders and she said that um, he has been on quote a roller coaster weighing up if it's worth going around again believing his 20-year parliamentary career may have peaked so perhaps even Greg Hunt is wondering about his own future.
1: Yeah, well, he'll, he'll get um, the good sort of pension they all get now, won't he? He's been there for long enough. That wouldn't surprise me at all. There has been a big backlash against Scott Morrison. I mean, um, New South Welsh people, I think, are you know, very much blaming, you know, Victorians blame Daniel Andrews, but they're blaming the federal government. Mm. And, um, and obviously the vaccination, you know, I, I just, for a whole lot of reasons, we were just far too slow. Um, so... He is in a bit of strife, but again, I just don't think Anthony Albanese is resonating as an opposition. So there are no real viable oppositions in any of the um, three electorates that we're talking about, Corrie. I don't believe.
0: No, I think you're. I think you're absolutely right there. Although the I do sh- see
1: Bill Shorten making a bit of a making a bit of a challenge. So look, oh, it'll he, it'll he be. He has interesting.
0: to. He has to just settle settle down. He has to. He's had his time. He had, Bill Shorten has to just go away gracefully. I believe. Oh, look, as, the, as you said about the Victorian matter, the the, the the federal government, Scott Morrison's government, is there for a, another you know a few months, another year, and a lot can happen, as we know. i just it's just interesting to to think about the three big things again. Quoting this article of Nikki Savage. she says the three big things, the three you know the, the Prime Minister fell short on three critical occasions: the bushfires of 2019 2020 that he was in hawaii having a mai tai on the beach um his mishandling of the allegations of sexual misconduct in parliament house and the vaccination rollout which i think people will have a long memory
1: on that one yeah he's um, I, 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 the lack of um support and unity between the federal government and the states and trying to work together with this rollout has been so disappointing. And you've got to blame the overall leader for that. It is um, it is pretty bleak. But look, I just hope people are continuing to get vaccinated. I know it's not the complete be-all and end-all, but when you look at the numbers, you know, when you look at the numbers of the people who are in hospital and on ventilators and the ones in ICU, most of them, the, or virtually the majority of them, have not been vaccinated. And what does that tell you? It's just so important to try and beat this thing by getting vaccinated.
0: Agree, agree. So, on to a happier note, although not for you and I, because our teams are not in the finals, but season 2021 AFL came to a conclusion of the home and away series anyway, um, on the weekend. And what a thrilling weekend. What a fantastic finale Saturday was was amazing Saturday was was one one of the longest footy days in my entire life we just went from one game to another to another and I don't know how we split the bottle of champagne by the way
1: well I'm just enjoying the fact that you know you were claiming it at half time in the Richmond Hawthorne game and had to eat your words by the end of the game Corrie and that that draw between Richmond and Hawthorne it was very fitting Um, I loved it. I didn't like it when Alistair Clarkson gatecrashed Damien Hardwick's premiership press conference back in 2017, but I thought this one was quite fitting. Um, It was very, very emotional for me as a Richmond supporter, saying goodbye to David Asprey. It was so emotional talking about Basha Hawley, who's been such a champion for the Tigers, and obviously Sean, Sean Burgoyne, who we hope will go on to bigger and better things for the Indigenous community. But it I has have already. No doubt.
0: But how about the footy gods, Cara? They just couldn't. They, his last touch of, the, of of a ball in a long and stellar AFL career, and he just couldn't quite get there with that lunge to pull it back before it went through for a goal. How exciting was that?
1: Well, it was, Corey. but I was at the MCG, you know, in a media role and it was just it was just awful that there was no one there to see Alistair and Sean Burgoyne walk off the ground. It was just it, – it was a bit hollow. So many hollow games with empty crowds. I'm, I'm glad that footy's moving bizarrely to Tasmania this weekend for the – finals and also to Adelaide and obviously it's almost certain now well it's it's it is certain in my view that the grand final will be in Perth it certainly won't be at the MCG um and unless Mark McGowan does something you know and and he does have a habit the West Australian Premier of closing down a game with very very short notice so I really hope that that doesn't happen but um it's going to be very very strange. Another year, another year without the grand final here in Melbourne. And um, although it's sort of a bit sad for we Victorians, I do think it'll be a great TV event because Optus Stadium in Perth, where I've never actually managed to get to yet, looks incredible.
0: Well, I do sort of feel desperately sorry for the Melbourne supporters should their team be in the grand final. <laughs> Uh, really, oh, They can't, tra- they can't take right. a break.
1: <laughs> they should be just happy to be there. Seriously, um, and this could be the start of something for Melbourne. It won't. Well, be the I, last
0: I, time I think. I titles. think that's probably right. It, it might be the start of, of, of a few years of, of, of a good run. Caro, the big story this week, of course, is the. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say to you which which AFL team Hawthorne or Carlton wins the how to handle the coaching issue twenty twenty one award, but David Teague has just. Just been let go at Carlton. I wonder which club, Hawks or Blues, made the biggest mistakes in the lead up to saying goodbye to their coaches?
1: I think I think and Carlton gets there by a whisker Corrie. Although, um, as we reported on Footy Classified a couple of times this week, it just is so unedifying to me that Hawthorne still haven't properly settled with Alistair Clarkson and, um, you know, went to the AFL to sort of check a couple of things about his contract, tried to change the parameters of that contract and that exit agreement um, in the, you know, last days of his coaching career. I mean, just extraordinary, Cory. So disappointing the way Hawthorne have handled this. So, I mean, if, if you proportionately look at Hawthorne, you say they mistreated a legend. It's one thing to get rid of a coach, but to be so duplicitous about the way you do it, as Hawthorne were with Alistair, trying to pretend that, you know, they wanted this succession plan is um is appalling. But honestly and truly, Luke Sayers, um, who is such a, you know, towering figure in the world of international um, business and um, accounting, et cetera, to think that you can run a footy club the way you would run um, a company like PwC is just crazy. And, you know, the the treatment, the public treatment of David Teague has just been so humiliating. Look, OK, coaching, sacking a coach mid-season is not a good look for a footy club, but to drag this on until Thursday after his last game is on the weekend is just awful, particularly when you know what you're going to do. I mean, they knew they were going to sack him weeks ago. So what it's led to is, you know, his manager, Liam Pickering, who works in the media, you know, coming out and first of all, smashing the media, then smashing the club and finally smashing the captain. I mean, he's gone bang, bang, bang. He's completely shot the messenger, Liam, by the way, where the media is concerned. But um, to come out and bag the Carlton captain, Patrick Cripps, I thought was um, a poor look. And um, yes, he was defending his coach, but still poor. And, you know, there's just been spot fires everywhere because Carlton has dragged this on and not had the good grace to tell the coach that he's gone because they say in the business world, you know, you do all this, you know, feedback and – Oh, look, using all that business speak for how you respond to someone after they've had the position reviewed—it's just bunkum, in my view.
0: Well, my my concern goes to David Teague himself, who seems like a really nice bloke, and he has conducted himself, I think, with uh, with huge decorum and professionalism. Here's a really good case for pain and suffering. Here, this is just um, this has just been appalling for him and his family. I would imagine.
1: Yes, yeah, so, um, I was hearing yesterday that he might um, he might get a um, coaching lifeline um, in terms of his job, that he might end up at even Richmond as an assistant coach. Obviously, a lot of clubs have their footy department soft caps been cut back, you know, savagely due to COVID, but a lot of clubs do need some good assistance, and I think David Teague is that person. Um, yeah, it's been really, really humiliating for him. You're right. Um it was funny, Corey. I said on the first episode of Footy Classified back in March that I didn't think David Teague's position was safe and that um, Carlton wanted Alistair Clarkson. And the CEO, Kane Liddell, who's a good bloke, went on air the next day on SEN and said while he liked me as a journo, it was, I was just throwing out a Hail Mary. And what I said was based on nothing. Well, as it turns out, it wasn't based on nothing. I, I was hearing it back then that he was in trouble. And this is what happens when a footy club hires a coach through emotion and doesn't go through a proper process as mm-hmm. they did with David Teague. He did go out swinging a bit. I mean, he had a bit of a go at the club in his last press conference and he did say two weeks ago that his play it, it was not a psychologically safe environment because of this review they put in place. So, um, oh, it's like a, it's, it's gone back to the 80s. How, it, it honestly is like running a footy club back in the 1980s. <laughs> When we used to talk
0: about Graham Richmond at your club having the trap door and people would go oh, into well, his office, knock, and well, then I suddenly mean, they'd disappear and never you, be seen you again. You say
1: we're professional and this is best practice and this is business and this is how you do reviews. It's actually how you run a footy club in the 80s and all the old names are bobbing up, you know, Stephen Silvani and Greg Williams. And this is what this is the most factionalised club, Corrie, even more than Essendon, in the AFL. And it's all the chickens coming home to roost now. Anyway, David Teague's gone. I reckon my tip today is that Ross Lyon will be coaching Carlton next year, although anything can happen, but that would be my tip today. And um, we won't have Alistair at least for a year on the coaching scene, which is going to be strange.
0: Well, it'll be strange, but I, as I said a few weeks ago, I think a, a year off for somebody who has worked so hard and whose family have given so much Alistair Clarkson's kids were little kids, little tiny primary school and baby kids when he started coaching. And now they're teenagers or they've gone through school. And so now the family can have some time. And Alistair Clarkson strikes me as the sort of person who will use the downtime to its absolute max, whether it's to improve his golf game or whether it's to actually do deep reflection and study and study for the next Goal, whatever that may be, whether it's in football or sport or maybe something else completely different. But I think he's a great one for self-improver, improving. Um, I think he's an autodidact for sure. And I, I just wish him and the family all the best. He has been an extraordinary. I was very, very emotional on. I, I was very emotional watching watching Bashir as well. Like the Richmond side of things had. I had tears in my eyes, but I was very emotional seeing um both Burgoyne and Clarkson leave the ground the other day.
1: Yeah, no, look, you, you're right. And um, well look, I know he has international opportunities he wants to pursue, whether he will be able to do that next year because of COVID, we don't know. We know he has his son doing VCE. He obviously loves spending time on his farm. He'll come back bigger and better from this. I mean, I think it's quite funny that the AFL's pressuring the Gold Coast to do something about their um, woeful ladder position and um, worried about them losing good players. And Mark Evans, who, of course, was Alistair's footy boss at Hawthorne, now running the Gold Coast, spoke to him about helping Stewie Jew, the Gold Coast coach. I don't see Alistair as a, co- a mentor of a coach in that way, in a professional sense. I think if you get Alistair club, to your club, you get him to coach. So who knows
0: maybe where maybe he'll there's end up a career the for him, year. Caro. Maybe there's a career for him at, at the AFL within the AFL hierarchy and quite senior, you know, a really senior position.
1: No, 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 no. no. He's he's a coach. Mm, quite
0: definite about that.
1: Yep. Not a director of yep, footy. I am. I think Alistair's a coach.
0: On we go, Caro, from footy to a drink.
1: As we do every week, it is my great pleasure to take you into the cocktail cabinet with Miles Thompson. This week, Miles from Prince Wine Store. And remember, everyone, they are bringing Melbournians the greatest wine in the world. And you can visit Prince Wine Store at princewinestore.com.au and using the promo code M E W S. To check out online to receive your "Don't Shoot the Messenger" discount, Miles. Welcome.
2: Thank you. Nice to be here. In sort of, sort of be there.
1: <laughs> An early Happy Father's Day, Miles, and um, we want to make all those dads out there happy this weekend. They won't be seeing a huge amount of people, but they will be celebrating Father's Day. So, um, what should they be drinking?
2: Well, look, I went for something a little bit maybe traditional. And I picked a really fantastic um, single malt scotch um, for all all the dads out there.
0: I love whiskey. So, you know, let's not be just about the boys either.
2: Yeah, it's it's Father's Day and
1: they never really get the rap that mothers do on Mother's Day. So, um, Miles, I'm so glad we're doing this because my husband loves single malt whiskey and I never know which one to buy. So you're going to tell us.
2: Yeah, well, look, this is this is just such a fantastic value whiskey. It's probably, I think it's probably one of the best value whiskies out there. Um, and it's called Tamnavulin. Um, and it's from, uh, sorry, Tamnavulin Double Cask, and it's from Speyside. So the double cask refers to the aging process. So for those of you into scotch, it always gets aged in barrels, and it depends on the barrels. They impart different flavors, and this spends several years in American oak ex-bourbon barrels, which is pretty common. And then it spends uh, another few years in old sherry barrels as well. So it has that lovely combination of kind of sweet sort of tropical fruit that you get from those bourbon barrels, that kind of coconut sort of thing going on. And then it has those lovely sort of nutty, malty um, sort of raisin and sort of sweet fruit sherry notes as well. And it's only $70, and it's just really, really incredible value and, and such top, top sort of notch quality as well. It's a really fantastic drink.
0: Miles, um, could hmm. you spell Tamnavolin? Is that how you – how did you say it?
2: Tamnavolin. So T-A-M-N-A-V-U-L-I-N. Tamnavolin. Yep.
1: Sounds great. And it's... so it, come, it comes from America, Miles. Is that right?
2: No, no, no this is this – is, so it's side. so – Speyside in Scotland, so it's a, it's a single malt scotch. Um, and Speyside's kind of one of the, it has the most distilleries um, in Scotland. I think there's like 60 or 70 or something like that. So it has most of the single malts. I think Glenlivet and um, I think Macallan and all the real sort of famous sort of big gun whiskies that you've probably heard of. Um, a lot of them come from space side, so it, it's amongst a oh, uh, good it, crowd.
1: I tell you what, Miles, it's on Corrie and my bucket list for our, our next walk and our next trip. We, we want to do the Outer Hebrides, don't we, Corrie? And we we'll do. go and so, visit so long, a few
0: distilleries on the way. We'll do it. We'll do a bit of a whiskey whiskey walk. Um, so long as there are no midges, Caro, because our friend Kate always <laughs> reminds us of the midges and like, we're terrified of them. Yeah, I'm not. A Miles, guy.
1: that um, is incredibly good value. I mean, I've. I've been looking around, you know, at uh, whiskeys in the last couple of weeks because I also had a birthday of my husband, Brendan, as well. And, you know, it's, it's, there are, a lot of them are getting up towards, the, you know, $150, $200 mark.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, look, we, we, oh. this has been super popular for us. We really love it. It's, it's just such a great great value whiskey but it's got the qualities there as well it's just it's it's really really good they they, they uh, still sell a lot of their which is not uncommon sell a lot of their whiskey to bigger producers so like jewards or uh, say um you know johnny walker for blended whiskies but they recently in the last sort of five years started doing a single malt um and we're really happy they're doing it because it's great
1: sounds it wonderful sounds, and, it um, sounds fantastic well, Miles, have you um, have you been to any
2: distilleries in Scotland? I, I haven't. It, it, it's I've, I've only been to the, the I've only been to um, England to to London uh, to hang out with a few friends, and I've never sort of ventured further. But I, I would really love to go sort of further north, and I have some friends in Ireland too. So I'd really love to go up to Ireland as well. But it's it looks so beautiful, but I've never had a chance. No.
1: They do. Um, they do. Um, it has become a major sort of part of um, Scotland's um, tourist trail now because, as you say, there are so many distilleries. Well, that's a wonderful Father's Day present. Any other tips, Miles?
2: I thought that was just sort of perfect. And, and for the weather, I, I really can't, can't think of anything better better than a nice scotch.
1: I agree. <laughs> I couldn't agree if, more. Especially
0: if you're playing golf. Especially if you're playing golf, Miles. Um, I, I was introduced to this. This rather um, nice tradition of of older male golfers with my brother. And he and I played golf one day. I reckon it was about 10 or 11 degrees at Victoria Golf Club. And I don't know, maybe it was about the 14th or 15th hole. Out came this little flask of whiskey. I thought this is a very nice tradition. And it does warm you up and must say played
1: better as a result.
2: Yeah, that's right, loosen up a little
1: bit, relax a little. A little little bit cruel at the moment, Miles and Corrie, because, of course, we can't here in Victoria. Uh, Well, certainly not in Melbourne, play golf. But um, something to dream about. I know my father and his mates, before Dad became president of Richmond and had to do all the official functions, they used to take um, thermoses of um, hot milk with whiskey in it to the MCG.
2: Oh, right.
1: Which... I mean I'm 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 going back to the sixties and early, very early seventies here. I know. Doesn't actually sound that nice, does it? But Miles, that's a fantastic tip. Um details will be in our show notes, Cory. But um as I said, M E W S, all in caps at checkout online to receive your discount. That wonderful sounding um tell us the name of it one more time, Miles.
2: Okay. Tam
1: Tam-Navool and Double Cask. Tam and Double ca- Cask, which retails at Prince Wine Store for around $70, which is an absolute bargain. Yeah. That is a cocktail yeah, cabinet for Prince, bringing wine enthusiasts the greatest wine in the world. Remember when you visit princewinestore.com.au to tell them that Corrie and Caro sent you.
0: And that was Miles Thompson visiting us remotely today, but nonetheless with lots of great tips and we're into the whisky scene, Caro. Now, Caro, you have a crush. What is your crush?
1: Well, I'm heading back to the topics of footy and politics, Corrie. My crush this week is the Tasmanian Premier, Peter Gutwin, who stood up to the AFL, who held firm after his Great disappointment in the AFL's reporting of the Carter report and Gillian McLaughlin's rather lacklustre press conference that he held after the Colin Carter report into the feasibility of a football team in Tasmania. It was handed down. Colin's report really wasn't definitive enough. It put forward the prospect of a joint venture football club in Tasmania, which was just so insulting. Peter Gutwin stood up to the AFL. He said, I'm not going to pay any more money, for games down here, for North Melbourne or Hawthorne, unless I get a timeline. The AFL has had to go cap, well, not cap in hand to the Tasmanian government because there's no certainty they will get a team, but they have now given them a timeline. They will put this prospect of a 19th licence to a vote at some point next year to the clubs. And I'm really admiring of the Tasmanian Premier, Peter Gutwin, who, as I said, stood up to the AFL as no other Tasmanian Premier has. So he, Corrie, is my crush of the week. And how exciting, even though it's for sad COVID reasons, that there are going to be two finals in Launceston, not one, but two this weekend. I think that's very
0: exciting. I've been sent a copy of that um, Colin Carter report. It is actually quite interesting. I think he does make some very valid points. But that is your, the Tasmanian Premier. I'm sure he'll be thrilled, Caro, to hear that he's your crush I'm sure he'll be really like that. will just be one of his great achievements for the week.
1: Well, he's got some strong footy connections, Peter Gutwin. He probably couldn't care less, Corrie, but he's <laughs> my crush anyway.
0: I'd like to think he listens to us. Now, on to BSF, uh, brought to us, of course, uh, by Red Energy and um, Prince Wine Store, always our, suppo- our supporters. Uh, Caro, you have a book, The Girl from the Channel Islands. What, a, what an exotic yeah.
1: title. I know, and it's got a beautiful front cover. Um, I bought it from your bookshop um, in the last days of your bookshop, and I'm abso- I've am i got to say I really enjoyed it. Um, it's written by a woman called Jenny LeCote, and she is a, she's more better known as a scriptwriter, screenwriter for British television, and I think um, she's done a bit of stand-up comedy, Jenny LeCote. This book seems to have several different titles, um, but it basically, it is a story, it's based on a true story of an Austrian girl by the name of Hedy Berku or Bersu who um, finds herself stuck in Jersey in the summer of 1940. Um, she's there working for a family. She's Jewish. And most Jewish people managed to escape the um, Channel Islands just before Germany invades and um, takes over. The Channel Islands, but um Hetty, for a variety of reasons, does not escape. The family she's nannying for does, so she spends the early days of the German invasion living in their home. Then she gets an apartment and she basically has to somehow survive on the Channel Islands and in Jersey for pretty much all of World War II. And this is her story. But it's not only her story, it's also the story of um, a woman she meets who she doesn't really like at the beginning of the book. And, in fact, she finds quite irritating until quite late in the book, who, in fact, takes her in at some point during the story. Look, it, there, there's so many twists and turns in this book. What it is, it is it is a story of World War Two on Jersey, on that beautiful island that was taken over by the Germans and almost destroyed. It's a, it's a love story of... Um, Hedy and Kurt the German soldier he meets early in the book and it is a love story of Hedy's German friend Anton who was also who is not Jewish but is li- living also in Jersey at the time of the outbreak of World War two and um, and the English woman that he meets who um, who lives on the island and what happens to them and their romance this ended up being um, this story, was i suppose revisited only a few years ago when the British prime minister Boris Yeltsin actually handed a very special award to one of the characters in a book in the book or to her ancestors um for um her descendants for what they did during World War 2 but it's sort of promoted as a story of courage a story of hope but it is just fascinating to read about what life was like i mean remember the um what was it called the Gu- Potato Guernsey, Pie Society. Yeah, no,
0: Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Society. It's always a very
1: good one for charades. Yes. Well, that was Guernsey. This is Jersey. There is a pig in this book as well, which is quite <laughs> funny. But um, most of it is very, very, well, it, there's a lot of trauma but there, and there's a lot of sadness. It's quite interesting to read it during a COVID lockdown and to um, just remind yourself of what it was really like to be locked down. And what it was really um, like. To yeah, go we. we food. That's exactly and, right. We um, think
0: we're doing it hard. You're absolutely right. Carol, did you mean I to say. But I got lost
1: in this book. I loved it.
0: Did you mean to say Boris Yeltsin?
1: Oh, did I say Boris Yeltsin? <laughs> <laughs> that is COVID brain, Corrie. His name oh, is but... Boris Johnson. <laughs> or as our I friend to... called him the other day, Boris the Buffoon, which I wasn't going to say. No, Boris Johnson actually. Um, <laughs> There was a ceremony which, um, when once you've read the book, you'll Google everything about the main characters and um, what happened to them after the war, and it's really, really interesting. But you do get lost in this book, and it's very... Look, it's a really enjoyable book. The Girl from the Channel Islands by Jenny Lacote. Uh Good um, recommendation. So, good one so, for lockdown. Um, well, anyway, that's books. Um, we've both got a screen, and I'll be interested to hear... Your thoughts, first of all, on Nine Perfect Strangers, the Leanne Moriarty book that's been made into a series that's now running on Amazon Prime.
0: Well, the first thing I want to say about this, Caro, is when I interviewed Leanne Moriarty on the book pod, um, must have been three years ago, I think, she was very determined that she was going to set this novel in in, in um, New South Wales, in, in Australia, and she was very determined that if it was picked up as a miniseries or a film, that she would push very hard for it to be an Australian uh, setting. Well, it is, as we know, it has been filmed outside of Byron Bay. It was filmed last year during different lockdowns. But it is set in, I was surprised to see California came up and everybody has an American accent, including the wonderful Asha Keddie, who I think is playing a terrific
1: role, doing a great job in this um as a, grie- so- as a grieving mother well it what happened was Cory, um it was to be filmed in california um it was certainly going to be filmed somewhere in america maybe florida florida or california and because of covid they had to move the production over to the northern New South Wales. So it was a COVID reason that it happened. But it's so funny because you and I have spent a lot of time in that area. I'm recognising a lot of the drives, certainly the scenes on the drive to the health retreat that is the basis of this um, of the setting of this novel that's been become a miniseries. And, you know, you're looking at gum trees and this Australian vegetation. And, yeah, you're right, it's so funny. And so many of even the minor characters who we recognise from other shows with American accents. It's quite bizarre. Well, it
0: just strikes me as odd that uh, Leanne Moriarty was so determined that this would not be the fate of this book. But look, she is one of the producers, along with Nicole Kidman, and I suppose money talks. I guess, or money gets you to kind of change your thinking. I don't know. But look, it is an interesting. It, it, it's a, it, it was an okay book for me. I'm not a, I'm not a hugely Anne Moriarty fan, although I adored interviewing her. I thought she was so interesting. Um, her books are, uh, I mean, they're really good for me holiday reads, you know. Um, I, I, the, and, and Leanne would be the first to say it's never going to win a book a prize. So so we take all that as a given. But The Nine Perfect Strangers I didn't think was her finest novel, but nonetheless quite interesting with this increasingly menacing Masha. Masha, the Russian, um, what is her backstory? But she's now the owner and the kind of the yogi of the the health retreat, and everybody is there innocently thinking that they're going to lose weight or give up the grog or become a better person, or in the case of the Asher character and her family, uh, overcome uh, having lost a child in the family. Um, so everybody's there for a different reason, and the cast of characters is great, led by Melissa McCarthy, who is brilliant as Frances, the romantic novelist, the very successful romantic novelist. I think she's doing a great job. Um, Yeah, look, I've done two episodes of it and it it is really starting to come together. There is a sense of uh, menace evolving and you're wondering what's going to happen. I almost feel like I'm on the island of Dr No or something in James Bond. It's all going to turn a bit creepy and weird and the house is
1: going to swallow them up. I don't know. What do you think of it? Yeah, underwhelmed, underwhelmed, beautiful setting, um... I have. This is one of her novels I haven't read, and I've really enjoyed um, The Husband's Secret. I've really enjoyed um, a lot of her books. Um, everyone who's read this book says it is her worst by some distance, um, to be honest, to be brutal. And, um, you know, Corrie, since this podcast began, we have been divided over Nicole Kidman. I've got to say, and, you know, I'm the one who's always defending her. I love Nicole Kidman. I don't like her in this. I think she really overacts as yeah, the yes, um, does. as the health retreat boss, and um, I find her just an unbelievable sort of character. And no, I, I'm not enjoying it at all. And uh, Brendan and I watch. I think we watched the first two episodes. Did we watch one? Or, no, we must have watched two. Yeah, I'm not. I'm. I'm, I'm going to stick with it, but I don't think I'll get my husband for the rest of them. And no, I well, my, mine really... fell. Mine
0: fell asleep on the sofa midway through the second one, so that says a lot to me. But um, no the interesting thing about the Masha character, Caro, in the book is that you have when you're reading it, or I did anyway. I had quite a strong vision of this woman. I imagined her not being overly attractive. Not that that's an issue, but I imagined her being quite hard faced quite uh, um, a little bit of the Russian babushka in a way, uh, quite muscly, uh, wearing all white, almost like a, a nurse's uniform. I did get that feeling when I was reading the novel. And when the ethereal Nicole Kidman wanders in, all five foot eleven of her, a tall she is, with the beautiful long blonde hair and the incredibly gorgeous pale blue eyes, I... Uh, I just, I just thought, no, this is not Masha, regardless of how I feel about Nicole Kidman. I just didn't think it was a great casting idea.
1: And yet Nicole was, you know, pivotal in bringing the production to Australia. And I know the, um, you know, Australian Australian film industry um, bosses and cohorts and everyone was absolutely thrilled, you know, when there was so little work going on last year when it did come to Byron Bay. Everyone was absolutely thrilled. But now, I'm... There's something about her facial expressions. I find her really off-putting in this.
0: Mm, well, don't get me started about that, Caro. The other um, thing anyway. I've been watching. <laughs> the other thing I've been watching, and I think you jumped on board and maybe watched an episode or two as well, is the Sandham murders. S A N D H A M N, and Sandham is a little uh, island about two or three hours out of Stockholm. You go by boat. Uh, it's the only way you can get into the island. I've actually been there myself. It's an incredibly beautiful island on the on that whole sort of Swedish archipelago of hundreds of islands. And this is, as it says, the Sandham Murders. There is uh, a murder. Uh, the rather gorgeous, hunky, bad, badly acting uh, cop arrives from Stockholm, and is immediately. Um, caught up in this uh, caught up in a domestic drama with the woman who finds the dead body
1: and um I wondered what you thought. Well I'm loving the scenery. Um you know it's hard to dislike anything, you know, with a scandy touch, isn't it? Because um it's just the um it's just in so um the thing at the moment. I'm trying to work out exactly where this island is. I know it looks absolutely beautiful. Um, very cliched, you know, the cop with a backstory, his young cohort, the tough boss who's really got a heart of gold, um, the the menacing sort of husband of the woman you're talking about who finds the body in the first place. I've watched two episodes because you told me to stick with it, and I'm coming around, Corrie. <laughs> I did say to you the I did
0: say to you the other day when we were walking, having a lockdown walk. I did say. You know me, Carol. I love Inspector Rex. I love these sort of European cop yeah. shows. <laughs> no, no dog, sta- no dog in this one.
1: Oh, I started another one the other day. It's got the main character. Um, oh, it um, it's called the Harbour Master, and it's British and it's set sort of in some northern part of England. Remember Heartbeats? Remember how we all just loved yeah. Heartbeat? Yeah. Well, the main character. Is the um, is the you know the main cop from the Heartbeat? Bloke. Oh, really? Yeah. Who was married to Nave Nave Cusack, Cusack yeah. Is that her name? Yeah, Cusack, Yeah. Um, he does. It must be twenty years ago since we watched Heartbeat, or longer. He looks exactly the same age. It's hysterical. <laughs> anyway, that's another one to all the reviews. Sort of say, give it a go. It's you know. So not where do bad. I where do it's I find
2: nice...
1: that? Where do I find that? I reckon that's um, it's on that Acorn TV. Oh, I don't
0: see. I don't subscribe to. I, I've got. I have just too many subscriptions. I can't do another yeah, one.
1: Yeah, I got onto Acorn TV because you know I just thought, why not? And it's got a lot of British sort of <laughs> shows. But um, no, it's just, um, it's just quite. His name's Nick Berry. Sorry, Nick Berry is the actor who um, who played the cop. He looks exactly the same age. It's quite extraordinary. Either this show was made about thirty years ago as well. Or, and it's just come back again, but um, sort of similar, sort of set by the sea. I don't know what it is at the moment. We just need to escape, don't we? But I am, in, I must say I'm probably enjoying the Sandham murders now more than I'm enjoying Nine Perfect Strangers, which is disappointing. But you're right, Melissa McCarthy is terrific in it. And the one realistic thing is the sort of people who work around these health, ret- health retreat type places. You know, that that side of it is very sort of realistic and it certainly is menacing.
0: I did love the scene with, the, with one of the health workers who's, uh, before they're welcoming everybody, she's out the back having a cigarette.
1: <laughs> Oh, I know, that was brilliant, wasn't it? Very Byron. Corrie, um, speaking of, you have a recipe that sounds like it would um, not be out of place in a health retreat.
0: Well, you at first glance, yes, Caro, but it is so incredibly delicious. Uh, no offence to anybody who runs a health retreat. I'm sure your food is fabulous, but I think we do all have a, a picture of what that might look like. Uh, this meal is absolutely fantastic. It's one of the easiest best recipes i have cooked all year it comes to me from a friend of mine sarah pound and sarah has a catering business called two pounds food which was sarah pound and her mum they set up the business a few years ago Uh, they've had a really uh you know they've worked really hard to build up this business and of course in lockdown last year smash everything fell to bits all the catering jobs fell off the side of the earth they pivoted, as we say, into um, cooking and delivering uh, and, and click and collect meals. But this lockdown, Sarah has just thought, I- I've lost too many staff. I just can't do it. It's too stressful. So what she is doing, Carol, is she is giving back. And I, I've been following Two Pounds Food on Instagram for eons and was interested a few weeks ago to note that Sarah just said, look, I'm just going to put recipes on and how I do it. It's my gift to you, everyone and, you know, here we go. Look, the meals are great. It is called Two Pounds Food. That is the Instagram account and there are videos of Sarah putting all of the ingredients together. Not dissimilar to what your darling Clemmie donahue Instagram account does, Caro. Um, and well done, Sarah, for providing us with so many great ideas and inspiration. This meal came about, uh, I think it was posted last week or the week before and I am hooked, Caro. It's called clean and lean green pasta and the ingredients uh, it's it, it serves for so I have I actually cooked everything according to the uh, amounts that Sarah's put forward so there's a bit in the fridge for us to heat up and have probably for lunch today but essentially you cook your, your spaghetti or whatever pasta you love in the bowl and then while all that's happening you chop up some rocket kale lemon juice zucchini which you have fried lightly in a pan with two cloves of garlic and you've got a half a bunch of basil half a bunch of parsley and uh you can either have a cup of raw or roasted cashews i roasted mine because i wanted to That taste tasted really delicious that roasted taste came through a little bit of water, salt and pepper, and optional are the chilli flakes, which I put in and I'm really glad I did because it had a bit of a kick. And you just throw it all in the whizzer. And once the uh, pasta is cooked, drain it and then put it in the pan and put through, spoon through and fold through this absolutely beautiful green-coloured sauce and put it on a plate, put a few more chopped um. Of the roasted um, cashews on the top, and a bit of parsley and some Parmigiano Reggiano, and it is unbelievable, Caro. It is unbelievable. We both had it sounds Hawkins beautiful. Last night. Sounds
1: like a sort of variation of pesto in a way.
0: It is exactly right. We were we, Pete and I were saying it's very. It is a very similar pesto taste, except there's something about cooking the zucchini and the garlic. I think it gives it a bit of extra oomph. And then kale, of course. But, you know, with me me trying to achieve my 30 different vegetables each week, well, I've knocked over about 10 in this one recipe. I did (laughs) add a bit more. Miss Jane has the recipe, and it will be on the show notes, everyone. Just to let you know, I stuck to the recipe religiously, which is unusual for me, but I did add a bit more lemon juice than Sarah says. She said half a cup, and I just wanted a bit more tang. So you can just, you know... Just add or subtract according to taste. Great recipe. Thank you, Sarah. I am in love with this recipe. So easy to make, so quick.
1: Well, Corrie, you made me some lovely pesto the other day. So maybe you could make me a little tub of this this as well and I can put it on my pasta and not have to do all the work.
0: Oh, and maybe, yes, and maybe you could come around and (laughs) fix up my laundry (laughs) cupboard for me too. Where's my (laughs) coffee, by the way?
1: Where's my? You're yeah, right. Touche. This is now the
0: third week that you um, haven't that you haven't bought me a coffee. I'm missing it.
1: I will. Well, I'd be you know very happy to if we could go into the studio, but we're not allowed to. Now, that was BSF for Red Energy, powered by Snowy Hydro, a leader in renewable energy. Isn't a time you called Red Energy, and the number is one three one. Great recipe, Corrie. Lots to talk about there. But now you're grumpy. What are you grumpy about?
0: I'm grumpy with the blokes who uh, went to the anti-lockdown rally in Melbourne on Saturday. Eight of them are being uh, investigated by police after their violent confrontations. The police were punched, pushed against the wall again and again and again, I suppose as a way of winding them. Um, One had their neck slashed, another officer suffered concussion, and apparently two of these eight uh, alleged perpetrators let off dangerous flares, which we actually saw that night on the news and the footage, which were horrifying and really scary. I think if you had been in the crowd as a protester, you would have been quite um, discombobulated by that. But these men carrying weapons, charging police, nine officers, Caro, ended up in hospital. And Chief Commissioner Shane Patton said it was just probably the most violent protest the state has seen in 20 years. Why violence? Why bring flares? Why bring weapons? I absolutely, absolutely support everybody's right to protest, peaceful protest. And, OK, we might argue at a time of a pandemic when everybody is being asked to distance and isolate, that maybe a walk down Burke Street Mall or Collins Street is not a great idea. But when on earth did we suddenly become mobilised with uh, weapons? I, I, it's beyond me. I was absolutely incredulous watching the news the other night and I hope other Victorians were as well.
1: People are so angry at the moment and it just, it's understandable, but it doesn't solve anything. And doesn't solve anything. Very appropriate, grumpy. And um, for Red Energy, again, do you want to kick off six quick questions?
0: I will, Caro. I was very uh, sad to read of Charlie Watts's death this week. Like many people of my age, it did make me feel very old. It made me feel nostalgic. I have had the Rolling Stones in my life all my life. They formed two years after I was born. So I wondered, my question to you is, what was your favourite Charlie Watts story?
1: Oh, well, look, I, I don't know if you've read that. Um, oh, look, it's a it's a really fascinating autobiography by Keith Richard called Life, which was just one of my favourite reads one summer about oh, probably about 10, 12 years ago now. But... Um, Mick uh, there's a lot of anti Mick Jagger stories in this book some dreadful Mick Jagger stories and I've got to say Keith Richard doesn't come out of it as a hero by any means but um it's one night in a hotel in London Mick is being particularly bombastic I think we're in the late 80s Corrie might even be the late 90s can't quite remember but Mick they're all in the hotel they're on tour and Mick come picks up the phone and says get my drummer here now. It's something like this. And Charlie Watts storms into the room. I think he either picks up a jacket of Mick's favourite jacket or maybe a guitar or something and opens a window and flings it out the window into the Thames or into the London night and said, I am not your effing drummer. Anyway, that was just my favourite Charlie Watts story. And um, the way Keith tells it, and he does tell some dreadful stories against himself um it was very very funny now what is your favorite charlie watts performance in a song
0: well i'm just going to cue miss jane because she's got the band back together for this one um I, look a lot of people said uh, start me up because of the drumming at the beginning and there's no doubt that's a great party starter but i actually love let's spend the night together
2: yeah, um because it holds the beat, you can hear
0: the beat. the beat, the beat holds everything else that's going on around him. Everybody's singing or playing offbeat, but Charlie just continues to maintain that beat with his drum. As we know, he grew up on a blues and jazz diet and in fact he until recently was playing in jazz bands that's his background and so his default position was always to give you the beat and as Radio National Music Show host Andy Ford said yesterday on Radio National that although he he could also play off the beat which he does with the cowbell in Honky Tonk Woman that defining start of that song is absolutely incredible, <laughs> and then the one I do love really is Little Red Rooster, where the drum just holds that song t- song together, while J. Nick Jagger and Brian road. Jones with that sliding guitar. Oh my God, please, please, I love that slide please. guitar sound. That's so cool.
1: I think you would. So, that that yeah, was a very so, long answer to a short question, Corrie. But it, it's um, but didn't you, you make it? some.
0: But did, didn't we enjoy it? But didn't we enjoy it, Caro? Um oh, now should absolutely. the ABC we be worried that Fox News' legal counsel has threatened them with legal
1: action following
0: last Monday's Four Corners report.
1: Well I can't see why, Corrie, because I, I can't see um what in that report was in any way defamatory. I, I don't I, I don't understand that. I mean a lot of it was just purely a matter of public record. Fascinating episode. Some people disagreed that there was um, a real gotcha moment. I just found the whole thing completely riveting and really disturbing. What it was a highlight of that bomb Hill report for you? The highlight was
0: Sarah Ferguson talking to Gretchen Carlson, the former Fox presenter who brought down Roger Ailes. I thought that was just a really compelling interview. And at one point, Gretchen says, I can't talk about this because of the settlement. So you see the vision of Sarah and Gretchen going outside and discussing whatever they were discussing. I would have loved to have been outside with them. I thought it was a great report. I thought it was really interesting. Interesting that the, at News Corp has published 45 articles, Caro, having, an, having a crack at the, um, at the ABC.
1: Oh, my heavens, the, the response in the Australian. But what about when... Um Despite the fact that we see Lachlan Murdoch explaining why Roger Ailes had to go and why this behaviour in the workplace was unacceptable, when um, Gretchen said that he has tried to allow them to release her from that confidentiality agreement, from that NDA, non-disclosure agreement, as have several female staffers, and that they have not allowed her, that Lachlan has not allowed her to do this. I didn't think that reflected well on Lachlan Murdoch at all.
0: I don't think it did either, Caro. You're absolutely right. Caro, Barbara Eden turned 90 this week on August 23rd, in fact. Were you an I Dream of Jeannie girl or were you a Bewitched girl?
1: Corey? I was both. I mean, I don't think we need to make a choice, do we? I think comparisons are odious, but I adored Samantha on Bewitched. I probably liked her. I never really got the whole NASA space thing. I, I didn't find that. It was a. Pretty I'm sorry. Can you show. hear what's
0: in the background? Miss Jane is so clever.
1: God, you're good with an auto cue, Jane. <laughs> I can hear it. You know, I, I I like I, that music. music
0: takes me. Oh my God, it takes me right back to sort of five o'clock watching after school watching I Dream of Jeannie.
1: If you did, if you did, um, really hone in, and you know did deep dive into what that was all about when you think about it two sort of blokey male astronauts having this sort of gorgeous you know very scantily clad genie coming out of a bottle it was sort of uh it was pretty ridiculous but it was a great idea at the time Barbara Eden was fabulous but I think um, Elizabeth Montgomery gets my vote now Corrie God, you come up with some extraordinary questions. Was Nigella Lawson right in deciding to rename her famous Slut Red Raspberries in Chardonnay Jelly recipe?
0: (laughs) You love my questions. Come on, admit it.
1: You love them. (laughs) Was she right or not, Corrie?
0: Of course she was right, Caro. You can't call a recipe in 2021 the Slut Red Raspberries in Chardonnay Jelly. So this recipe... This It happened this week. She posted on Instagram or somewhere, I can't remember where I read it. Um, But this recipe she first came up with in the early 2000s, like 2002 or 2003 or something, and now she has realised that the word slut has become, quote, more cruel over the years, and she has decided to replace the offending word with ruby to describe the colour of the fruit. But as she says, it is the same dessert of dreams. Um, but it has just changed its name. So absolutely right, Nigella. Well done to you. And Caro, you love my questions. What do you mean? It keeps you on your toes. What else are you going to do in lockdown?
1: (laughs) I I just... It, it is when you, I mean, I, I think there might be a lipstick that was called Slut Red, wasn't it? Oh, well, it was I a lipstick colour. Change
0: its name. A lipstick But, you coat. know, Caro, my questions are always, uh, there are women now driving around in the car or walking with their dog who are going, thinking seriously, mm, did I prefer I Dream of Jeannie or Bewitched? Which turban would I have looked better in? You know, that's what's happening right now, Cara. Anyway, Jane, I know no great, really great questions, Corey.
1: great questions.
0: Jane, speaking of Jane, thank you, Jane, once again, your extraordinary talent in the production sphere. How you bring Cara and I together at all of these distances, I have no idea, but you do it, Jane. Thanks, and we love you heaps. And thank you to everybody for sending us all your messages and emails. We want more, please. We love hearing from you. How are you going? Something we've mucked up, something you love. Just send us a a note via Instagram or Facebook, or you can just send an email to feedback at shootpod.com.au. And, Caro, a special announcement. Next week we are going to announce the winner of our Don't Shoot the Messenger footy tipping competition. And guess what? It's not you and it's not me. Stay tuned. Thank you to our podcast sponsors Red Energy, 100% Australian Electricity and Gas, and of course Prince Wine Store. And, Carol, what do we say?
1: Don't shoot the messenger.